I had a version of what I was going to talk about this morning, and then I counted at breakfast. There are eight or nine men from the church that I'm part of. So instead of talking about my sins, I'm going to talk about their sins. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> I figured that would be more interesting. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I am thankful to... Uh, the friends from Otter Creek who are here. You guys are the, the heart and soul of our church, and I really appreciate uh, just your spirit. Um, I'm an observer of people, and um, we all are at some level, but I, I feel like the last four or five years, there's been uh, ample material to work with. If you're into anthropology or ethnography or just social awareness, um, specifically how men are behaving in the public and the private sphere, especially men who have taken on the name of Jesus. And so what I want to just think about with you all for a few minutes is um, a, a truth-telling session. I think life is too short to talk about stuff that doesn't matter. And so what I want to do is just tell the truth about um, how I think, especially politicians and pastors, can become corrupted from the inside out and don't realize it until it's too late. And uh, this doesn't mean you have to be a public leader for this to apply to you, but, it, but, it, but public leaders do provide a mirror of sorts for all of us to think about the way in which we love our wives, we love our children, we love our grandchildren. And while this audience is skewed a little bit older, by the way, Wes, we're all aging, <laughs> right? All of us. So, so welcome. We're all, we're all in the same club. Um, I want you to think about the men in your life that you are responsible to, whether it's men your age, your sons, your grandsons, um, specifically, but also, of course, the women in your life. Because essentially what I want to share are the things that I've been collecting over the years from different mentors. And so um, this is a little different for me because usually it's, here's a biblical text. Here's what this text means. Here's what the Greek, that's not what I'm going to do today. I'm certainly not going to do the sermon in German. <laughs> but I do think, I do think we're in a season of life in American culture for Christians to take inventory of our own selves, meaning before we are going to rant and rave about the demise of the church in America or how, what, let's practice self-examination, right? J Jesus' own brother says, confess your sins to each other and you'll be healed. He links healing to authenticity. And so what I want to do is share with you the things that have helped me to this point from ruining my life. And let me start with a caveat. Our church is, uh, Otter Creek Church is very involved in the AA and the NA community. And I wish it was part of some grand strategic plan. It's not, it's just kind of organically grown. As of last week, between our two campuses, we have 29 different recovery groups using our facilities, which I don't know if that's good news or terrible news that one church has 20, like, because if, if you do the math, you're like, how many groups do we have in Nashville? 
Uh, my friend Ian Cron said, he said to me recently, he said, you know, uh, Nashville is a drinking town with a music problem. I had never heard it described that way. I had, I had never conceived of it in that way. Uh, so anyways, in the recovery community, um, a big part of 12-step work is a rigorous commitment to telling the truth. And so in that spirit, what I want to talk about is um, how do you keep your sanity in an insane world and how do you not blow up your life? So I'm just going to be super practical. Um, the first thing for me is I have to exercise four to six days a week. If I miss two or three days in a row, and it doesn't even matter what it is, get on your bike, go walk, swim, whatever it is. If I don't exercise two or three days in a row, my wife will just point to the front door. Like, get out. Go work this out. There's something about my physiological hardwiring where I need to be out in creation. I think it's because I'm made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. And we connect with spirit through our bodies, right? We're body and spirit. Um, and I, so I'm not saying this like as your physician, like so you can live four years longer. I'm talking about the quality of the life that you have now, not just living longer, but there's something. And I always start with men in this way, especially when I'm working with men who are in a season of melancholy or uh, deep sorrow, sadness that can can lead into depression. At some point, we'll probably all be in that season. And. There was a story several years ago, pre-COVID, from the United Kingdom, where the largest psychiatric body of professionals came back to the parliament and gave several million dollars back to the British government. And they said, instead of us using this money for more drug research, build more parks all over London. Because the single most important thing for our mental wellness and I would argue, especially for men, is that we are reconnected in our bodies. Um, I, I'm thinking about Ralph in the back here who played pickup basketball till what? Ralph, how long did you play pickup basketball till you were like 65, 50, in between? You know, he's just out there hacking everybody, fouling everybody. <laughs> but what happens? You're in your body, right? You're, you're connected in your body. Uh, another thing that has really helped me over the years stay centered in my faith and my connection to Jesus is that I believe the greatest indicator of my relationship to my wife are the close male friends that I surround myself with. Let me say this carefully. In some ways, my male friends are just as important as the person that I chose to marry. And you may think that's an exaggeration. I've got 25 years now of being in a local church, watching men blow up their lives, thinking they could solve a problem over here by chasing this person over here. And the common denominator, not every time, but most of the time, with someone who blew up their life over money or sex or power or addiction, whatever it is, is that man slowly removed himself from an intense sense of male community. The quality of your male friendships will directly implicate 
the quality of your marriage. Let me give you an example of this. One of my best friends, he's a, he's a leader in our church. He's a leader in the AA community. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, just an absolute go-getter. Um, he, he told me one time, we have very direct conversations. And I was talking to him about some friction that Cara and I were experiencing. We're both very strong personalities. And it takes us a while to back down from each other. And he said, you, he said, you know what your problem is, Josh? Which is always great when someone starts a sentence <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> you know, because I'm thinking, which one? Uh, but he said, your problem right now is you do not serve your wife in a tangible way every day. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so I said, give me some, he's a little older than me. I said, give me some help. He said, does your wife drink coffee? Yes. Every single day, get up before she does and bring her coffee to her. I love counseling and therapy. I'm sure we have counselors and therapists. That one act every day has done more than any therapy session has ever done for our marriage. But I needed a Jesus-following man in my life to tell me the truth that, Josh, you're doing all this life with your wife, but you're not serving her. And until you start to serve her, she's not going to be soft towards you. I needed someone, I didn't need to read that in a book. I needed another human to tell me that. Um, another thing that I'm passionate about, just kind of curating the soul, living, the, living a good life. Uh, number three is the refusal to participate in slander, gossip, racist, sexist, or coarse talk of any kind. And this is why Jesus' brother and James talks all the time about how the, the tongue is this wild flame. It's so hard because it's a revealer of what's in the heart, right? James got this from Jesus, by the way. Jesus talks all the time about what comes out of your mouth is not an accident. It's what's actually in you. So you don't get angry, right? You are anger. You are angry until you learn how to deal with it. When it comes out in anger, it's not an accident. It's been brewing inside of you. But you do have to ask yourself in your circles of friends, what do we talk about? Are we slandering people? Are we gossiping about people? Are we telling racist, sexist, or coarse jokes? Because over time, that kind of talk, it rots you from the inside out. It feels good in the moment when you're immature, but over time, it really does something to you. Uh, this next one was a big one for me during COVID. I had to give myself uh, what my wife calls the two beer rule. Never have more than two beers in a day. Now, I rarely even come close to that. But during COVID, some of you can attest, some of you got to be best friends with Jack, didn't you? Because <laughs> what else were you going to do? Right? What else are you going to do? We were all just kind of waiting around, looking at the numbers. Is the vaccine coming? Um, but alcohol has a powerful, powerful impact on our spirits. And uh, you may have been raised in a family like I was, which we didn't drink at all, ever, for any reason. And in many of our churches, we've moved past that. My concern is we've gone so far the other way now that we don't talk about moderation at all in our churches. And so you can have life groups that get together, for instance, Bible study groups. And really what they're doing is just drinking wine, passing foolishness back and forth to each other, right? 
So part of spiritual health is being honest about the things that the substances we use to numb. It could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be several different things. Um, of course, in this list, abstaining from pornography. Um, many of you are probably now familiar with the impact that pornography has on the brain. But pornography is such a difficult topic today because it's, it's coming looking for you. Right, um, I'm about to turn 45, so just kind of give you an age reference. In the in the mid 90s, if you wanted to access pornography, we had to go into the back curtain blocked area of the video store. Remember this? And there would be like these beads on the door, and it was darker in there. And as like a 16 year old, you're like, "What lurks beyond the beads?" And your dad's like, never shall you cross the threshold of that door, which as a 16-year-old just made you want to look even more, right? That is not the era that we live in now. I, I work with a lot of young men in their 20s and early 30s, and it's, it's in our pockets now, whether it's gambling, pornography, it's looking for you. And this stuff will rot you from the inside out if you're not rigorously aware of its impact. Um, I've had to learn over the years also, this is just another kind of file this in the spirit of the rules for life. Um, hide nothing financially from my wife. There were a couple of, of investment things that we were a part of that did not do as well as I told her they were gonna do. Can I get a witness? Has anybody ever? <laughs> Anybody ever been in this? Oh, it's a slam dunk. But you have a degree in English. What do you know? Like, you know, that's what she's thinking. And uh, I didn't not tell her. Uh, I was just kind of waiting for the right moment, right? Five months later, six months later. And then she started to ask some questions. And that was extremely hurtful to her that I wouldn't just be forthright and transparent. So we know what the New Testament says, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't mean money's evil. It means what it does to us. It, money's not neutral. Um, so be as transparent as we can with our finances, with our significant others. Um, this one's hard for me. I have to be aware of my tendency to consume too much sports. I grew up in a sports family. I love it. I used to say that I'm a recovering sports addict, and my wife says you have to be in recovery to be recovering. Um, like you have to be actually abstaining from it. But I've learned about myself that sports is a place that I can go to hide. Oh, I'd love to talk to you about our middle son's development, but you know, Monday night football car, like, I, like that is a way of spiritually hiding. And as, as much as I believe in the redemptive power of sports, in the lives of young men and women. I really mean that, seriously. Like, it can also become an idol. Um, avoid secretive or unhealthy text conversations. Uh, my oldest son is in eighth grade. He just started a new school, so part of his rite of passage is he's gotta learn how to use a smartphone. If I'd had a smartphone when I was 14, there's no telling the trajectory of my life. So we're trying to, teach him how to steward this, right? And so we've been struggling with him about uh, texts you can send, how you respond to texts that people send you, all this. And finally, it occurred to, he's very close to his grandmother. And I said, you can't text anything to anyone that you would not let your grandmother read. 
and his face turned red. Like that was a tangible way of thinking about having healthy text conversations. Um, a, a question that I asked myself, who am I currently loving that is either lonely, economically poor, vulnerable, or in deep pain? Meaning if I'm just surrounding myself from supposed successful, happy people, what will the quality of my life look like? I need to also eliminate TV shows, radio talk shows, podcasts that take my mind to unhealthy places. So tangibly for me in this last year, I had to cancel HBO, and it was the best decision I could have made. HBO is brilliant television. It's brilliant. But HBO takes me to a dark place. Um, and so, and you have to decide, right? You have to decide where you're at in your spirit, the movies that you watch, the things that you, is it helping you to become more like Christ or not? Is it leading to a flourishing life or not? And so I just had to make the decision. I told my wife, I was like, HBO is too good. I can't handle it. Like it's such a powerful art medium for art that it, it's, it's taking me in my mind to places I don't want to go. So we had to cancel it. I think for some men, this is where the Fox CNN rabbit hole has too much of a hold on you in your life. Um, I'm just going to let you in on something psychologically that you, you may not like. Fox and CNN have no interest in actually telling you the truth. None. The only thing they care about is to keep you watching it. That's it. I used to write op-ed pieces for Fox News. I've probably written 15 or so. And the editor that I worked with was fantastic. She's an amazing woman. But she told me one time, they're going to ask you to do less and less. And when we got into the conversation, it's because the kinds of op-ed pieces I was writing for Fox was not creating enough fear in people that caused them to want to check the site the next day. And by the way, MSNBC is just as bad. So this is not a political thing for me. This is how the media works. The only thing they care about is getting you all riled up in your home so that you can be mad about the liberals or mad about the conservatives. So what? So you'll check in the next day to see what you're supposed to be mad about. That's all they care about. I'm, I'm talking about the whole lot of it is a sham. So if you're a Fox person and you're like, ah, or a, or a liberal, like... That's for you to work out with God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the industry at its core wants you to be afraid so that you'll, it's like, it's like going to the drug house. So you'll go back and get your fix, right? So you'll just keep getting mad about something. I'm going to start preaching. <laughs> there is, okay, I got permission from the shepherd, the bishop. <laughs> there is way more beauty in the world than there is pain. There's way more love in the world than there is hate. But if you only feast on a diet of MSNBC or Fox News, I promise you, you are not cultivating the virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. Because that's not what they're set up to do. They're set up to make you angry and afraid so you'll keep coming back for another hit. That's what they want. And they are better at it than anybody else is. That's why preaching on Sundays is crazy. I have 25 minutes. 
to speak into what someone's been hooked on for 10 hours that week on MSNBC. All right, let's take a deep breath after that one. <laughs> uh, am I reading the scriptures closely once a week? Like it, it's, uh, now Nashville's a little different, but it is, it's amazing to me how many places I've lived where Christians don't read their Bibles, especially red letters of Jesus. Um, Nashville just recently lost one of the true icons in the Christian community, Father Charlie Strobel. He was a dear friend of our church. And every time I saw Father Strobel, and for Protestants, this is going to mess with you a little bit. Every time I saw Father Strobel, he always asked me the same thing. Josh, where are you in the scriptures? He read the Bible voraciously. And then he would say, okay, but how much Jesus have you read lately? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where are you in the scriptures? So think about it, back to the, the, the media thing. If you're spending more time in the narrative of MSNBC or Fox versus the red letters of Jesus, who do you think you're going to sound more like when you actually go to talk to people who are looking up to you? Amen. Jesus said, what comes into the body comes out of the body, Right? So what are we feasting on? What are we allowing to really form how we think? Um, am I, this is one a, a counselor taught me, am I practicing the most generous interpretation possible with my family and friends who frustrate me? Meaning people are going to make you mad because people are messy and people are complicated. But when someone makes you mad, do you go to 10 in anger? Arrgh! And you start praying those imprecatory psalms, Lord, smite them, you know, remove them. Those are biblical prayers, right? Remove them. Or do you stop and say, like I have a family member who's super frustrating to me. And it always comes up around Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I've had to learn over the years to say, okay, what's the most generous interpretation possible for why this person chooses to behave the way they behave? And if you can apply generous interpretations to people in your life, they start to do the same thing to you when you hack them off. It's called grace. Am I present with the people who matter the most to me? Do my, do my, I have three sons. Do they see me doing this on my phone more than doing this? Am I fully present? Am I checking in on my friends who know me the best, who know all my secret sins, all my private sorrows? Am I finding time every day to meditate on the Lord's Prayer? Do I apologize quickly when I mess up? For those of you who are in, in a career, do you remember that the people who report to you are made in the image of God and need to feel the power of God's love more than your authority or your expertise? Are you sleeping eight hours a night and drinking lots of water? That's how practical I'm talking about right now. So this for me is a rule of life. And what I do once a year is I go through this list with some of my closest friends and we're just, we kinda, this doesn't work for everybody, but we grade ourselves. And then we let our friends grade us. And the GPA I give myself is not always the GPA that my friends, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little, I grade on a curve when it comes to myself, right? 
well, I meant to do that assignment, or I, I meant to do that well. Um, but this is simply a way of practicing rigorous self-examination. And, and just let me end with a word of encouragement or exhortation. Um, we recently at our church had a, a professor from the University of Virginia come and speak to our church, and he made a fascinating observation. His name is Brad Wilcox. You can, you can look him up. He is a fascinating human. He has spent his life's work talking about the impact that men have on the family. And he made the case, pulling together multiple sources from secular and Christian research bodies, that the greatest indicator of a child who will grow up with a vibrant Christian faith is the faith of the father. The faith of the mother is significant. We're not downplaying that. But because a father's faith is more in flux, it's uh, the possibilities of a father's faith are kind of all over the map on the continuum, that in their research at the University of Virginia, he has found that a grandfather or a father who is connected to a vibrant community of faith, who talks openly about their faith and openly talks about their spiritual disciplines as a way to feel connected to God, that that has twice as big an impact on children and grandchildren in terms of their likelihood to repeat that faith into their late 20s. And I don't have to tell you much. I mean, you guys know this with your children and grandchildren. Like, it is tough to keep our kids and our grandkids connected to the local church. Any kind of expression of community. But the greatest indicator, according to this scholar, is the passion that you bring for your faith in Christ and you're willing to talk about it and be critiqued about it and apologize when you mess up. That's the thing that is going to bring some of our children and our grandchildren back to faith. Not a clever sermon series, not an awesome worship band. That stuff is smoke and mirrors, literally, right? Smoke and mirrors. But real substance from the father or the grandfather is what changes and sustains a family over decades in the Christian faith. And we've, we've seen this in church history. So God, we pray to you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I thank you for every man in this room. And God, I pray for every secret heartache, for every wound, every act that's been forgiven. God, I pray that as you are healing us from all of our pain and all of our wounds, all the things we've caused, the things that have been done to us, God, my prayer is that you will Use us to be bold in our faith, but gentle with our love. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.